Well, everybody pull out your Bibles and turn to Isaiah chapter 57 and then back up four verses. Okay? We're going to be looking at Isaiah 57, but we, if you, you've heard this so many times, I don't have to repeat it, but I'll say it anyway. When the people that divided the Bible up into chapters and verses did so, they didn't necessarily do it according to the, to the theme or the thought. And so this section is actually starting in Isaiah chapter 56, verse 9, and it goes all the way through until the end of 57, verse 21. Now, I'm going to give you a little bit of history, a little bit of background, then we're just going to plow through these verses as quickly as we can, and then I'm going to wrap it up. I, I, I will tell you that when I preach, when I give a lesson, whether it's a teaching or a preaching or whatever, or exhortation, I always try to find the so what. You know, God, it's really cool that we read these words this morning, but so what? How does it apply to my life? Well, there isn't a whole lot of so what here. But that's okay. Because what the Lord said to me as I was going, God, there's not a whole lot of so what here. He said, that's okay. My word will still speak to their heart. My spirit will still speak to them that which I need them to hear. You just preach. Okay, God. So I have prepared. I have studied. I believe that I know this backwards, forwards, inside and out. (laughs) As much as any one human being can. And so I'm going to speak to you the things that are on my heart. But there is no wrap-up. We're going to just trust that the Holy Spirit's going to wrap it up for us. I believe he's going to. I was like, what's going on, God? My, my anxiety level's a little bit high here because I want to be in control. And he's like, nope, this is mine. I got it. I'm like, okay, cool. And like I said, he started the service off with a word from, from him through our, through, through our sister. Um, I believe with all of my heart he's got a glorious and powerful finish for us. Let's uh, give you the history. The history is this. Isaiah the prophet lived during the time of King Uzziah and King Hezekiah and King Manasseh. And there was one in between that I missed. But Manasseh did not follow the ways of his father. And Manasseh brought the people back into idolatry. And they started worshipping Molech. Molech was one of the fertility gods in that area. Uh, of the world. Molech is a hideous, demonic deity. They literally would perform, and I'm sorry, the children in here, I have to say it, they, they, the, the worshippers of Molech would literally perform sexual intercourse as a form of worship at church. Okay? And there was a lot of graphic, and I won't get too graphic because we have young ears, but there was a lot of graphic imagery in Molech worship. And the worshipers of Molech would literally take babies, living, breathing babies, and throw them into a fire to kill the babies as an offering to this demon. This is horrible, horrible, horrible stuff. And the the prophet Isaiah is preaching to a nation that is supposed to be the people of God. And he is saying to these people, what are you doing? Don't you understand? 
Now, we'll read through that in just a little bit. The other thing you need to know is the placement of this particular passage in Isaiah has troubled scholars for a long time. Why? Because there are some scholars who say that the entire book of Isaiah, all 66 chapters, were written by one guy, Isaiah, who lived in the time of King Uzziah. But there are other scholars who say that there was actually a group of people who followed Isaiah, kind of like he was their leader and they were his, his students, and over the course of a couple hundred years, this followers of Isaiah group formulated what is now known as the book of Isaiah. And so there are some people who say that there was one author. There are some scholars who say that there were two authors. There were some scholars who say that there were three authors. There are some scholars who say that those three authors were actually made up of groupings of people who studied the word under the teachings and leadership of Isaiah or Isaiah's students. I don't know. I don't care. It would make a whole lot of difference to me. Bottom line is, this section of scripture is scripture. It is the word of God. I don't know the full history of it. I tend to lean, as I have studied throughout all of these months that we've been studying Isaiah, I tend to lean to the one Isaiah theory. But I, who am I? Everyone else says, you know, it really doesn't make a whole lot of difference to us. But the thing that's cool is, if you think of this as a one Isaiah thing, it means that he wrote this 210 years before the people that needed it were going to hear it. So in other words, God spoke prophetically through his prophet to his people. The problem that people have with this particular passage and understanding how it fits into history is if Isaiah was writing 210 years in the from the future, I mean from the past to the future, was he talking about the actions of the people in the future? Or was he talking about the people that he was seeing right now in his own world and then the end result was going to be? And you don't know anything yet because we haven't started to look at it, but these are all things that play into what this is talking about. Bottom line is, there's a message here for the people of God. And that's what I'm hoping the Holy Spirit will put into our hearts this, evening, this morning as we, as we look at the Word. Because as Isaiah was speaking to his people, I believe that God has asked me to share this with you this morning because he has a specific thing he wants you to hear. But I don't have a specific sentence to say. So I'm hoping each one of you will hear clearly from the Holy Spirit. That's the reason we did the follow the leader thing with the kids. Because I wanted to plant that idea in your mind. Don't look at me. Look at him. If you read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're not going to turn there, but if you read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul the Apostle says, follow, me, follow my example as I follow Christ. That's a very scary thought to me. Because if I ask you as my congregation to follow me as I follow Christ, what if I get it wrong? So I would much rather you follow Christ. So that's what I always do. I say, just look to Jesus. Ask him. He'll tell you. If you ask my opinion, I'll be glad to give my opinion, my best guess. But you listen to the Holy Spirit. Let him tell you. And that's what we're going to do this morning. So let's start. Isaiah chapter 56, verse 9 through 12. Then we're going to do Isaiah 57, verses 1 and 2. Then we're going to do Isaiah 57, verses 3 through 13. Then we're finally going to end up with Isaiah 57, verses 14 through 21. 
So Isaiah 56, verses 9 through 12. All you beasts of the field come to devour. All you beasts in the forest, his watchmen's are blind. They are all without knowledge and they, all, they are all silent dogs. They cannot bark. They're dreaming. They're lying down, loving to slumber. The dogs have a mighty appetite and they have never enough. But they are shepherds who have no understanding. They are all turned to their own way. Each to his own gain, one and all. Come, they say, let us get wine. Let us fill ourselves with strong drink. And tomorrow be like this day, great beyond measure. There are three different nouns in this section. Number one, watchmen, verse 10. Number two, dogs, verses 10 and 11. Number number three, shepherds, verse 11. Watchmen, dogs, shepherds. Isaiah is using those three nouns to discuss the same people. And he's talking to the leaders of the people of God in Judah. So if you think about that, these are the people who are the priests, the Levites, the king, the court of the king, the prophets, all of the people of prominence who are supposed to be leading the people of God towards God. And the people of God are looking to their king and looking to their leaders and looking to their priests because That's who's in charge. And so I'm following them. And these watchmen who are supposed to be watching to make sure that no evil comes. And these these shepherds who are supposed to be taking care of God's people, the flock of God, are nothing but greedy dogs. All they care about is filling their belly and sleeping. One of the scholars that I read said, imagine this. They're supposed to be watchmen, but they're laying there with their paws twitching in their dreams as they're running through the fields, chasing after a rabbit. And he said, that's one of the reasons why the people of God walked the path that they ended up walking and falling away from the teachings. Did you know that in the scriptures, in the first five books of the Bible, that there was a command specifically to the king that that didn't exist yet? In the book of God, the, book of, the, the books of Moses, the first five books, there is a specific, a specific commandment to the king of the people of God. And what does it say? It says the king is supposed to keep a copy, a personal copy of the law of God in his bedchamber so that he can refer to it day and night so that he can know how he is to lead the people of God. That's a pretty powerful command, number one, and an incredible burden, number two. If you go to the New Testament, it says people who try to be leaders or teachers are going to be held to an even higher standard than the normal everyday people. Because we're leading the followers. Heaven help us if we lead them astray. And Isaiah the prophet is saying to the leaders of the people of God, you are nothing but greedy dogs. You are lazy. You want to fill your bellies. You want to look to your own gain. You've turned to your own way. You're no longer following God. And what's really horrible 
Moving into Isaiah chapter 57, verses 1 and 2, read that. The righteous man perishes and no one cares. It says the righteous man perishes and no one lays it to heart. Devout men are taken away while no one understands. He, the righteous person, enters into peace. They rest in their beds who walk in their uprightness. It is to the point in that culture where those who were holy, pure, righteous people, they are dying or being taken away some form or fashion out of influence. And nobody cares. The culture of the, of the nation of Judah at that time, in Isaiah's words are, they have fallen into debauchery and lasciviousness and Epicureanism, if you know what that word means, I had to look it up because I've heard it, I've read it many times, but I couldn't remember what it was. And basically it means satisfying my own desires. And as a result, as the good and righteous and holy people are leaving, dying or leaving, nobody cares, nobody pays attention. And you know what I really thought? That sounds a whole lot like the culture I'm living in right now. I was like, God, what's in this for me? Because I'm a leader. I am in this church and in this community. And that's a scary thing. Because literally, think about it. What would happen out there? Not in here so much, but out there. If I ended up having an extramarital affair and divorcing my wife. What would that do? to the image those people who don't know Christ but see me as a godly man and a leader in this community. Y'all need to pray for my protection over my family and my, my ministry. Amen. Not for me, but for him. Amen. Because the world is to the point where nobody cares if the righteous people go away. But the righteous people should care. And the enemy is doing all he can to steal and to kill and destroy in all ways. Because he hates God so much. He'll do anything he can to hurt God through the people of God. Have you ever, as a, if, you, if any of you are parents, you understand this. Somebody hurts your kid, you want to rip their face off. Okay? It's a knife to your heart when you see your kid go through horror. And you want to do bad things to the people that are doing it to you. And as your kids get older, it doesn't get any better. Except that you now can't go beat them up. <laughs> you can't go yell at the kids in the neighborhood or send them to their mom and dad. Because now they're all 35 years old and they're doing it to each other. And you just have to watch and go, oh, it hurts so bad. And that's exactly what the enemy's doing to God's heart when he tries to steal, kill, and destroy us. And the culture of Israel, the culture of, the, of, the, of Judah at this time, has reached the point where the, the leaders are so engrossed in their own stuff, and they've walked away from the path, that the, as the righteous people are dying, nobody cares, nobody's missing them, and the people are literally left to follow whatever they can do. And if you go back to the book of Judges, You'll see over and over and over and over and over again where it says, and the people just did what was right in their own eyes until God raised up another leader. Look at what God, through the prophet Isaiah, says to these people. But you, draw near you, sons of the sorceress, 
You offspring of the adulterer and loose woman. I can't say the word, but it begins with a B. See what he's calling these people? Whom are you mocking? Against whom do you open your mouth wide and stick out your tongue? Are you not children of transgressions and offspring of deceit? You who burn with lust among the oaks under every green tree, who slaughter your children in the valleys under the clefts of the rocks. And this verse right here is referring to that worship of Molech. You burn with lust among the oaks. Oaks only grew on high hills under every green tree. Worship places in ancient Canaan were always on high hills. And ancient worship in Molech's worship was, as I said earlier, so literally, you burn with lust, you slaughter your children, among the smooth stones of the valley is your portion, they they are your lot, to them you have poured out a drink offering, and you have brought a grain offering, so shall I relent for these things? The smooth stones he's talking about are, these are the, 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 the memorial stones, or the, the altars that they have raised up. Against God and, and, and to the demons, basically. Verse 7. On a high and lofty mountain you have set your bed. Again, referring to Molech. And there you went up to offer your sacrifice. Behind the door. This is the saddest, saddest, saddest statement. We will come back to it in just a second. Behind the door and the doorpost you have set up your memorial. For deserting me you have uncovered your bed. You have gone up to it. You have made it wide. You have made a covenant for yourself with them. You have loved their bed. You have looked on nakedness. Again, that's a euphemism. You journeyed to the king with oil and multiplied your perfumes. You sent your ambes far off. You sent down even to Sheol. You were wearied with the length of your way. But you didn't say it's hopeless you just found new life for your strength, and so you didn't even faint. This section right here is talking about the debauchery that the people of Judah went into when they turned away from following God and righteousness and holiness and purity. And the thing that I said about verse 8 being so sad in all of this what is a tradition in the Jewish culture that literally comes out of the law about that deals with doorposts? Does anybody know? No. No. Huh? They have what's called a mezuzah, which is a little box that contains a holy scroll that has literally has to be written by a scribe. I did a little bit of research on this. You can't just write your own mezuzah scroll. You have to go to someone who is a scribe, who's been trained and who knows exactly the format, and they write it out. If they make any mistake, it has to be destroyed. If the parchment that it's written on has any kind of crack, tear, or weakness, it has to be destroyed. They literally go every so many years and open up. They don't do it. They have to have a specialist come. Open up the, the mezuzah and inspect the scroll to make sure that it's still in good condition. And if it's not, it has to be destroyed and replaced. It is this important to their culture. And it comes from uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 that says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. 
Um, oh, I can't say it out loud without, remember, without looking at it. Follow the Lord with all of your heart, with all of your side, with all of your strength. That's, it was, basically, it's the Shema. And that's what's written on that scroll. And it's put on the doorpost. And literally, every Jewish person who's, a, who's, a, who's a, uh, a practicing Jew walks in and out of their house regularly. And they touch the mezuzah and touch their lips. And it's a sign of, this is part of who I am. This is, it's kind of like a Catholic crossing themselves. It's a religious activity. This is who I am. God's words and my lips. I'm bringing God's glory to my life. And Isaiah says to these people, you have mezuzahs on your doorposts and you have vile Molech offering memorials in your houses. So what are you trying to do? Show the world you're a holy, righteous people with vile disgust on the inside of you? That's literally what you're doing, people. I'm a person of God. I follow God with all of my heart. See? And then I go in and I bow down to the vile, disgusting, demonic that I've allowed into my life. Why? Because I've taken my eyes off the one that I should be following. And I'm following my neighbors because that's what they do. And my leaders aren't leading me properly. And I don't... so. Might as well. It works for them. I should do it too. There's nothing I can say to describe the vile, the bile that, that rises up in my gut when I think about this. Verse 11. God saying through the prophet to the people, Who did you dread and fear that you lied? That you didn't remember me? That you didn't lay it to heart? Have I not held my peace even for a long time and you don't fear me? That, that phrase right there, basically what that's saying, have I not held my peace for even for a long time and you don't fear me? Basically scholars have said, God is saying, should I have come and killed you since you were sinning? Should I have come and zapped you off the face of the earth because you were sinning? Because really, truly, if you look at Romans, which is going to be written a couple hundred years from now, it says the wages of sin is death. So, are you saying you're going to stop following me because I didn't kill you? Because I've just been trying to show grace and mercy to you? Verse 12, I will declare your righteousness and your deeds, but they will not profit you. When you cry out, let your collection of idols deliver you. The wind will carry them all off. A breath will take them away. But he who takes refuge in me shall possess the land and shall inherit my holy mountain. Every blessing that I've promised you will be yours if you will follow me. And inheriting the holy mountain literally means you will have access to my very presence. Coming into the temple area. We don't have time this morning to talk about that. But with song we sang just before we went to prayer, as I come into your presence, past the gates of praise, into your sanctuary as we're standing face to face, I look upon your countenance, I see the glory of your grace, and I can only bow down and say, you are awesome in this place, mighty God. God is giving them a promise. You come to me, 
You get everything. Including access to me. So why did you turn away? Why did you go and do that? That vile, disgusting, horrible stuff. Am I not enough? And on top of all of that, why do you put on a facade, you lying girl? Don't even try to put my name on any of this. You call yourself a a child of mine and you live like that? Who? Can you hear the the stuff? And it had to be God going, hold back, boy, hold back. Oh, I won't slap him. Oh, I won't slap him. Love. Show some love here. Show some grace. Why? We're going to see it in just a second. He says, verse 14, And it shall be build up. Build up. Prepare the way. Remove every obstruction from my people's way. God literally... I'm going to clear the path for you. I am going to do everything I can to make it as easy for you to come to me. There will be nothing in your way. Nothing. All you have to do is turn back to me. There will be nothing harming you. Nothing blocking you. I will take care of every demonic thing that tries to stop you. And when you come, I'll take the penalty for your sin. So you won't have to die. But let's not play these games. Verse 15. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell, excuse me, I dwell in the high and holy place. But hear this. I also dwell with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite there's a theological term you've heard it I'm sure many times God is transcendent but God is also imminent transcendent is this I dwell in a high and holy place but I am also imminent I also dwell with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit. Verse 16, For I will not contend forever, nor will I always be angry. For the spirit would grow faint before me and the breath of life that I made. What God is saying right here, if I didn't pull back, if I didn't show you mercy and grace and not hold you accountable, your spirit would fail and the very breath of your life would cease and you would die. And then I'd lose you for all eternity. We would not be together. So I'm holding back. I'm opening the door one more time for you to turn from your vile, sinful, wicked ways. I am making the way totally smooth, totally obstruction-free, All you have to do is let go of the lie. Let go of the selfishness. And turn and follow me. No one else. 
don't look to anyone else. Just look to me. Verse 17. Because of the iniquity of his unjust gain, I was angry. I struck him. I hid my face and was angry. But he went on backsliding in the way of his own heart. I've seen his ways, but I will heal him. I will lead him and restore comfort to him and his mourners, creating the fruit of the lips, peace, peace to the far and to the near, says the Lord. And I will heal him. This peace, peace that he's talking about, shalom, shalom. It's not just peace. It's not just a secession of of hostilities. Shalom is a fullness. Shalom is Anything that is right, everything that is right, everything that is pure, everything that is holy, everything that is comfortable, everything that is... That's shalom. And not only does he say, I'm offering you the opportunity to have shalom, but it's shalom, shalom. And then the last two words, I mean, the last two verses say, but the wicked are like the tossing sea. It can't be quiet. Its waters toss up mire and dirt. There is no peace for the wicked, God said. What God is saying in these 30 verses or so. You, my people, have lost your way. Your leaders have not led you appropriately and as a result you've taken your eyes off of them and you ended up looking at everything and everything but where you're supposed to look. And the end result is that you have fallen into vile sin. And you are worthy of death. There's no question. But I don't want to kill you. I want you in my life. I want to have relationship with you. Yes, I am the high and mighty and holy God with cherubim flying around crying, holy, 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 to the point where the the literally foundation of the buildings are shaking because of my glory. But I want to be with you. And I want to love you. And I want to just talk with you. And I just want to have relationship with you. And I promise you, if you will turn from your sinful, wicked ways, I will make it so easy for you to come to me. Because I've paid the penalty, so you don't have to. All you have to do is say, I'm sorry for what I've been doing, and I'm sorry it's offended you. And can you please forgive me? But God, very wisely says, but there's still going to be people, still going to be people who will not turn from their wickedness. They will never experience the shalom that I'm offering. It'll be like the waves tossing the sea back and forth, back and forth, and they will never have peace. And I just have to live with it, as sad as it makes me. That's the message of Isaiah chapter 56, verse 9, through Isaiah 57. I believe it was a week ago. No, two weeks ago, I think. I don't remember now. That I shared with you how to win someone to the Lord. Now I've shown you why they need to be won to the Lord. This is not a game. 
This is the very soul, the, the never-dying soul of your neighbor, your family member, your friend who doesn't know Jesus. God has done absolutely everything to make it easy for them to come to him. But the enemy is doing absolutely everything to keep them from him. Mostly, he's keeping them distracted and not allowing them to see the truth to the point where they don't even care when a righteous person dies. It has no impact on their life. If every righteous person died and God stopped being on the earth, it wouldn't impact them at all. They just go live in their life as they normally do until they die. Then all of a sudden, reality will hit. And the very first thing that they might turn and say is, why didn't anyone ever tell me this? And so Christians, those of you who sit here in my vo- under my voice, if you are indeed a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ and you have received forgiveness for your sins and you are experienced the great and wonderful shalom, shalom that God offers, are you telling people? Are you looking for opportunities? Evelyn, out of the blue, mentioned that at 10.02 every day, we're called to pray that God would send harvesters into the field to reap the souls that are ripe and ready. If you are still on this earth and you still breathe and you have a relationship with Jesus Christ that is vital and real, you are a harvester. The question is, are you going to be obedient to the call that's on you? Or are you going to be disobedient and have to answer to God for it? I'm going to leave it at that. Let's pray.